When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. We've got a two-parter for you today. In the first part, Mary Kay, Ellis, and I are going to look at the AFC North, the moves that teams have made, the players they've lost, and we're going to sort of stack how the AFC North looks after this first wave of free agency. Then in the second half of the pod, Tim Bielek answers football insider questions about the NFL draft. We talk about edge rushers, uh, positions of strength, all sorts of things that our football insider subscribers texted as questions to us for that part. So that's coming up in the second half. Okay, here we go. Our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast talking AFC North. We're going to go through the other teams and kind of position where the Browns are post really kind of the meat of free agency and then pre uh, draft here. So, Let's go ahead and just start at the very top. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, division winners last year. Ben Roethlisberger's coming back. I, I guess I've kind of made how I feel about the Steelers pretty clear on here. Listeners know how I feel about them. But Mary Kay, now that we're about a week into free agency, a week and a half into free agency here, what are your thoughts on the Steelers and what they've done and, and kind of where they are? Well, I think obviously the the number one thing to to talk about is the fact that they're bringing Big Ben back, you know, and I think uh, when we all left Pittsburgh after they lost to the Browns in the playoffs and we saw Ben and Marquise Pouncey sitting on that bench crying, I really didn't think he was going to be coming back. I thought that the landscape uh, of the AFC North really would be changing drastically and that that's where the biggest change would come. No more Big Ben who is something like whatever, 22 and 23 and two and one against the Browns or something like that. Uh, so I really thought that, that that was going to be it for him. Changing of the guard, lo and behold, not only is Ben back, but Juju Browns is Browns is back. You know, so the Steelers, at least offensively, are, are going to look, you know, pretty similar to, to what we are used to from a, a skill position standpoint. In terms of, you know, they lost Bud Dupree. I, I think that's big. I do think that you need that second really good rusher. I, I think that's important. Some people beg to differ with me on that, but I still think it's, it's very, very important. They also lost cornerback Mike Hilton. But I think the two biggest things, in, in, or the, actually the three biggest things, Ben's back, Juju's back, Bud Dupree is gone. The thing with the Steelers, everything Mary Kay just laid out is completely accurate, which is why when we were watching Pittsburgh 
a year ago and of course the playoff game really comes to mind but it was a trend that started really right when they you know started losing that Washington game you started realizing all right this team is quite one-dimensional on offense and then as the season went on they lost guys Devin Bush Bud Dupree their defense started getting a little weaker right so then when you look at that team it was less of a talent issue which you know free agency tends to be the conversation of who'd you add who'd you lose what's I mean about your roster and your talent it seemed to be less of a talent issue specifically offensively with the Steelers than it was a philosophy issue the one-dimensional style that offense implemented have big Ben sit in shotgun have him throw the ball quickly and if we run it's draw and we're just going to hope James Conner can sort of bounce around for a couple of yards. It was unimaginative, simplistic, and it caught up with them. So when we're talking free agents, Juju Smith-Schuster coming back is a plus, you know, that, I mean, the, the Steelers are going to, they were going to find a way to replace him anyway. A one-year deal for a million is quite telling that they're probably not doing this again next year at this time. But to me, when we figure out where the Steelers are trying to answer the question of where the Steelers are going to be in 2021, to me, it all, comes back to what will their offense look like not the players on the field but schematically what is their offense going to look like is big ben willing to go under center are they willing to run play action they were i think the 30th most used play action team in the league they just had no interest in doing it the data has been out for a decade now on how play action is so beneficial for an offense if they just run it back both with the roster talent that mary Kay laid out aside from you know a couple defensive guys like mike hilton and bud dupree coming back if they run it back both talent-wise and philosophy-wise, this team's in a world of trouble. Now, if Big Ben's willing to change some stuff about his game, they draft some offensive linemen. I mean, they, they're decimated up front. They, I mean, they I mean that whole front five, Marquise Pouncey, of course, leading the way, retiring, has got question marks all over it. So that needs to be figured out in general. But it, my point is it does not matter what happens to the offensive line. It does not matter who they find – you know, Highsmith, a guy, Alex Highsmith, a guy to replace Bud Dupree. It doesn't matter who plays that slot corner. If their philosophy as a team in general does not take a little reshaping this offseason and into week one, because that is what got them in trouble. It was refusing to adapt and change who they were. And part of that might be that they never really got a true bye week. I think we, we tend to just ignore that about them. Like because of the, all the COVID changes, they never got that bye week. And we spoke about how beneficial the bye week both was to the Browns last season and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they didn't lose after their bye week after that Chiefs game so maybe finally they get a bye week which is the offseason and they're going to make some changes but until I see it I can't believe it right they have a good coach they have a good head coach right Mike Tomlin uh, especially just the way he relates to players and, and the things he does this is a guy that doesn't really put up losing records has he ever put up a losing record in Pittsburgh I, no I don't think so so it, it's hard to just right off the Steelers at the same time. I just look at this team and outside of, you know, you got TJ Watt, you've got some guys on that defense again, Chase Claypool is really good. There's a couple other receivers. I like, I, I just, I, I can't shake that last month and a half of the season last year. I just can't do it. And you know, the, the one they, they beat Indianapolis, they played one good half of football. And I think a lot of us banked on that one good half of football is like, oh, Pittsburgh's back. They got it figured out again. And they obviously did not have it figured out again. So I just don't know what Ben is going to be next year. If, if it's the Ben that we saw this year, then they're a seven or eight win team at best, I think. A 17 game schedule. So maybe a nine and eight team, something like that. If Ben 
is a year healthier and that makes a difference, then maybe they're in the race for the AFC North again. But I just, Big Ben is Big Ben, but he's not that Big Ben anymore. And I just, I can't trust, I can't trust him until I actually see it. Yeah, I think the thing, obviously, that they would really, really need to do with Big Ben is support him with a running game. They've got to do that. You can't take, especially even last year, a guy coming off of elbow surgery, you don't know what he's going to be, and they didn't give him any kind of a running game, as Ellis mentioned, any kind of play action or support him uh, with the kind of offensive line that he needed. Uh, so if, if they aren't going to run the ball this year, then they're going to have a problem and they've got to be able to do it. You have to commit to it. You have to make that a thing. The other thing that they have going for them is that they should have Devin Bush coming back uh, this year. So that's like getting a whole nother first round draft pick back if he comes back healthy. So that, that should really help them and maybe also offset a little bit uh, that loss of Bud Dupree. They have to draft well, though. They've got to draft well, and, and they've, got to, they've got to coach it up better, and they have to run the ball, or I don't even know if they would get to seven victories this season. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that they did make a change at offensive coordinator. Matt Canada, who I believe was their quarterback coach, mm-hmm. uh, will, will now be their offensive coordinator. And you'd have to think that that will lead to the philosophy changes that uh, I'm teasing and that, and that Mary Kay highlights. That find a running game get under center, run some play action, like let this offense be more multifaceted than just sitting in shotgun and having Ben get rid of the ball in two seconds. Cause he didn't want to get hit. And then defensively the Browns cracked the code on the Steelers. I mean, that was an, a, a domination of play calling when it came to whether it was a quick pass to Jarvis Landry, quick pass to Austin Hooper or a screen to Nick Chubb. I mean, there that, and that was a game Kevin Sansky wasn't coaching in. Right. So from the game plan, so the play calling of Alex Van Pelt, they cracked the code on that Steelers defense, which I think was a combination of playing them for a third time, the Steelers not having guys like Devin Bush, and then just cracking the code. So between sort of having a real moment and looking in the mirror at their defense and then having Matt Canada's influence on the offense, I agree, Dan. They're a team that feels like a floor for them is seven wins, which means with the extra playoff spot, they're going to be in that wild card conversation probably, even though the AFC is a lot tougher than the NFC, but you, you get my point with that. And in worst case scenario, they're just going to be a thorn in the side of any team that has to play them. And for, for the sake of this conversation, the Browns are one of those teams that have to play them twice. Of course, by no means are they ever going to be an easy out is I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Look, they're never, they're not going to be a five win team, right? They're, they're always going to be a team that's right there at worst is going to hang around 500. I just don't know if their ceiling is that much higher than that this yep. year i guess it just depends on, on big ben and how being another year removed from that surgery uh, helps him a little bit falling behind the way that they did in that game kind of takes you out of your defensive game plan and i i mean obviously it takes you out of your defensive game plan somehow the steelers usually come back year after year and find a way to play good defense and they that's just the way they're built kevin colbert knows knows how to draft for defense they know how to find guys and they keep stocking that defense. So I, I would not write off the, the Steelers defense just yet. Like I said, they're getting Devin Bush back and they just somehow have a way of, they had some other injuries last year. I, I just don't think that we can think that, that, that that's the kind of Pittsburgh Steelers defense that we're going to see all the time. And on that same note, 
despite how terribly remember the game going for the Steelers, Big Ben still threw for like 530 <laughs> yards, right? So probably premature to write him off too. Okay, the Baltimore Ravens. They, uh, of course, beat the Browns twice last year. They lose Matt Juden. He goes to New England. They use they lose Yannick Ngakwe. Obviously, he's a good player. I don't know how much that actually hurts them, though. I don't know that they ever really figured out how to kind of fit him into that off into that defense. But you know, that's another pass rusher gone for them. They add an old, uh, familiar face to Browns fans, Kevin Zeitler. They bring back Tyus Bowser. Those are really kind of the big moves, and there's still some things out there for Baltimore. So, Mary Kay, when you look at this Ravens offseason so far, how do you come away feeling about this team? Underwhelming. I thought they had an underwhelming offseason. I mean, they, they really didn't, you know, I thought the, the losses seemed to outweigh the gains. And I, I just didn't think they, they really did anything that made me think, wow, you know, you've really got to worry about the Ravens even more so than you did before. Uh, there was just you know, nothing there that was sort of like a wow move. Once again, these guys know how to draft. They, they know how to draft. They have a very good personnel department, but they just didn't do anything that sort of strikes any fear into, uh, you know, in, into the opponent. And, and I think that, you know, even in, in the, in the postseason, you know, you, they need to do something else. I mean, they, they need to shake it up. Uh, there, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of criticism of Greg Roman and the way he was calling things. And, you know, you just don't, you know, if they want to advance in the playoffs and if they want to beat the Browns and win the AFC North this year, I think, I kind of think that the Browns are going to be at least at this point, maybe the team to beat, then, you know, they have to shake it up somehow. And I just didn't see it. Yeah. I think underwhelming is a perfect word, Mary Kay. And the Ravens are, are a great drafting team, right? Like the losing Matt Judon and Ngakwe means they'll get comp picks. And I've said this on the podcast before, how they lead the all-time, have the all-time record for most comp picks in NFL history. You're confident that they're always going to figure that defense out, right? Like they're going to replace the edge rushers. They're already strong at corner. The defense is always going to be Baltimore-like. But they have had a lot of issues drafting wide receivers lately, whether it's, you know, Hollywood, Marquise Brown, uh, Miles Boykin, Devin Duvernay was from a year ago. These are all guys who, and I believe Hollywood Brown was a first round pick. These are all guys they brought in with hopes of being a number one receiver. And it's quite clear they're not. So for me, underwhelming comes in because all I want to see them do is get a pass catcher for Lamar Jackson, a big body type receiver, stay away from these, these smaller twitchier guys that, a quarterback more like Baker Mayfield could perhaps use right now, but Lamar Jackson needs a guy with a big catch radius, someone who can make up for balls that can be inaccurate at times. And just a traditional outside receiver. They dominate between the numbers. We've, we've talked about why that was such a probably a reason John Johnson needed to be in Cleveland was because of the way Baltimore dominates the middle of the field. They've got no answer for anyone on the outside. You know, they were trying to figure Des Bryant out. That's when, you know, you're desperate. And for the receiver class that existed in this free agency, from Corey Davis to Kenny Galladay, it seemed like one of those two would have made a lot of sense. I read that they're having Sammy Watkins in on a visit sometime this week. Perhaps it's happening uh, today on Tuesday. I don't think he's the answer. He may help, but again, he's not the answer. That, that means it seems probably going to draft another receiver, and they have not had a good track record of it. So 
underwhelming is a perfect word. I've been very vocal about how I think the Ravens are the team to beat in this division. I think that Lamar Jackson has the Browns number, but as the Browns keep adding pieces, they're starting to accumulate some athletes that can stay with Lamar Jackson's feet and take away the middle of the field. And those are his two biggest strengths And Cleveland this offseason have, has done something to counteract that while Baltimore stayed stagnant. It's been disappointing. I just went back and looked last year to kind of see what they did last year too. This is kind of their second straight off season where they haven't done a ton in free agency. Uh, you know, they got a deal done with uh, Jimmy Smith, but not a lot of big money stuff last year, uh, just kind of stuff on their own back in 2019 is when they kind of made their big splashes. They had, they signed Earl Thomas. Of course he's gone. They signed Mark Ingram. Of course he's gone now too. So this is a team that I think right now is really kind of reliant on what they're going to do in the draft. And we know Ozzie Newsom was so good at that. Eric DaCosta came up under Ozzie. Uh, this is a very analytics driven organization. Uh, you know, they, they don't flaunt it a lot, but they are very much a, kind of a new wave uh, analytics focused organization. I think it's sort of in some ways who the Browns strive to be a, a little bit and how they, they build their team. But I agree, they've got to get a wide receiver somehow. I don't know if that's in the draft. I, I don't know if it's going to be a guy like Sammy Watkins. That wouldn't get me super excited if I was a Ravens fan because I just don't know if he can stay healthy. Uh, at, at the same time, you know, Kevin Zeitler signing is a good signing. That makes your offensive line better. If they can manage to keep, if they can manage to keep Orlando Brown, then that, that's, that's another positive for them. If they, convince, if they can convince him that playing right tackle is, is okay. So there's still some things there. I still feel, you know, with this offseason still incomplete, I'm not ready to just totally shift how I see the AFC North. But I do think the Browns certainly made gains, like you said, Ellis, on the Ravens. And the key part of it is you go out and get John Johnson. Now you've got three safeties you can have on the field whenever you want. And, that, you know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to beat Lamar Jackson when you do stuff like that. I was just going to say, I mean, they, they re-signed um, some guys. They, they renegotiated contract with, contracts with some good guys in Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams, and they're also going to have Ronnie Stanley back. So they're getting a couple of guys back, and they do have plenty of talent already on the team. So they're still gonna, going to be a really, really good team, but I don't think they did anything that made me say, wow, I don't know how the Browns are going to beat them. Yeah, and – to that same notion, this is another philosophy question. If the Ravens decide to get back to the 2019 version of themselves, run first, run second, run third, and then we'll pass when we need to, then, and in the red zone, then this team could be recapture that same type of magic as they built through this offensive line, right? You just highlighted Stanley. There's quite, there's some, there's clearly a disconnect there between Orlando Brown and them right now but he has not been moved yet if they can figure that out of course he's a really quality tackle in this league and then I think the Zeitler signing then becomes even more important you can start getting the, the foundation that linebacker. I think they're going to need another tight end if they head that way but J.K. Dobbins heading into year two has a, a opportunity to be a top 10 back this year of course playing with the benefic beneficiary of Lamar Jackson and they've got really four or five corners they can run deep I think that's important to remember that that really is the strength of this team is how they suffocate you with that man coverage Marlon Humphrey Jimmy Smith Marcus Peters uh, Tavon Young Anthony Everett they've just got I mean that's five guys that are quite impressive and you look to the Browns where it's like Denzel you hope Greedy Williams is healthy and then a slot corner you know like like clearly this team has built its foundation around the run game and 
not allowing teams to pass the football and man coverage. That's a pretty good recipe for success in this league. And uh, th- their cornerbacks match up really well against Jarvis and, and Odell traditionally. Yep. Uh, and, and Jarvis and Odell are going to have to learn to beat that tough physical man coverage from those guys. And, and with Judon losing him, you know, one of the knocks on him was sort of, you know, he's more of a guy that kind of benefits from that scheme a little bit and benefits from a defensive coordinator who can help him create pressure. That's probably why he'll be really good in new England as well. But that, that seems more replaceable than, you know, maybe losing some other edge rushers out there. Yeah. And, okay. and with the way they, with the way they blitz, they're going to generate that pressure regardless. I agree with you, Dan. Yeah, for sure. Let's spend a little bit of time on the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not going to be in the equation for the AFC North. I don't think who knows. You never know what can happen in the NFL, but we'll spend some time on the, on the Cincinnati Bengals. They were very active as you'd expect when you're, when you're not a good football team, you've got to get active and you've got to fix some things. So Trey Hendrickson, they bring him in sort of a trade-off because they lose Carl Lawson. They added Riley reef at tackle, trying to protect uh, Joe Burrow. Larry Ogunjobi goes from Cleveland to Cincinnati. You know, Mike Hilton, so I think Cincinnati's better, and this is a team that's going to rely on the draft again, as they always do. They're not going to be creative in the draft. They're not going to trade up and down all over the place, but you know they're going to stay where they are, and, and they're going to try and pick good players there. How, how much better is Cincinnati, though? You, you know what? It, it's hard to say. It, it's hard to say. It, Trey Hendrickson, we're going to find out probably really kind of what he is. I mean, he had – this was his breakout year. It was his first year as a starter. And he ended up with 13 and a half sacks. I think it was 12. Yeah. 13 and a half sacks. So, you know, was he a flash in the pan, a one hit wonder, or can he come out and have that and sustain uh, that kind of sack production this year? If he can, if he can be the Browns, Miles Garrett, that will help them a whole, whole lot. Now, in terms of adding Larry Ogunjobi, Andrew Billings came here and Larry Ogunjobi went there basically is, is, is what happened. So uh, I actually think that the Browns may have gotten the better end of, of that swap. So we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out. Mike Hilton, that was good uh, to get him. And I think Riley Reif, that, that really helps out a lot. He's very, very solid. And that's a key acquisition. I mean, they will be better. I think they help themselves. Their, their free agency kind of gets panned uh, online, I mean, they lost Carl Lawson. They lost William Jackson III, two of their best defenders. Uh, but I think they, and of course, they lost A.J. Green and John Ross and Geno Atkins. But, you know, those guys were, some of those guys were getting a little long in the tooth. So I think it was, it was time for some of those guys to go. I'll never understand why Cincinnati this year didn't franchise tag either Carl Lawson uh, or their, their cornerback, William Jackson, just letting both of those guys walk didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I do like, it's funny, I knock them and I'm going to say I like what they're doing. <laughs> but that's, I do like where this team is headed. A lot of it has to do with a healthy Joe Burrow coming back. Last year felt like a lost season for Joe Mixon as well. He was battling that foot injury and then they just kind of scrapped him from week 12 on. Riley Reef is going to provide some stability up front that they desperately need. And this is a team that we can't give a full assessment on until we see what they do at pick five. I mean, imagine the Browns before making that pick at pick 10. You know, Jedrick Wills became a huge part of that offense. And if that's something that the, the Bengals do, whether it's Penny Snell, the, the top tackle on the board, or a guy like Kyle Pitts, the most dynamic tight end to come out 
in perhaps a decade, that completely changes the dynamics of this offense. So let's wait and see what they do at five. And assuming it goes one of those two ways, all that really tells me is the AFC North is quickly becoming one of the most challenging divisions once again in football, if not the most competitive that there is in this league. I, I still love the weapons they have. You know, AJ Green is gone, but I, I don't think he was going to be real productive for them anyway. But T. Higgins was really good last year. Tyler Boyd, uh, you know, they've still got Joe Mixon, who you mentioned. Yeah, they've got some good receivers in, in this group. You know, Auden Tate's a guy I didn't, I didn't mention there, but they've got some guys that, that can do some damage, I think, in this offense. So I, I really like the weapons they have again this year. It's just about protecting Joe Burrow and being able to stop somebody on defense because that's what happened against the Browns, right? They were in this shootout and it was basically going to be whoever has the football last is going to win the game. Now the Bengals technically had the football last and they did almost win the game on, on a Joe Burrow Hail Mary, but you know, they've got to get in a situation where if they need one stop or, or two stops, they can get it. And they just didn't have that last year on defense. And you cannot say enough about Joe Burrow. I mean, you guys, we were there to see it in person, you know, I mean, he, he's unbelievable. And I hope he, just for the, the sake of the game, for the sake of him, for the sake of the AFC North, I hope he comes back strong and healthy and just lives up to that amazing potential because he is incredible. And it's going to be a fun ride uh, to watch him battle it out with, with Baker Mayfield over the years. It's, I mean, it's funny. You've got Baker, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Lamar Jackson. You've, you've kind of got three guys there that we could see – some some real battles here in, in the AFC North. That's kind of what you want. Then, you want it to be a then, with some good young quarterbacks. And then Mason Rudolph someday, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Mason Rudolph waiting in the wings to battle for that AFC North crown. For the Browns, you know, we obviously we look, we talk about their free agency every day, but I think what stands out to me as I was kind of looking through these lists is for every single team, including the Bengals, even, we can talk about who they lost. You know, we talk about like Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton. We talk about Matthew Juden. We talk about you know, key players that these teams lost. We didn't expect the Browns to really lose any key players this offseason. And they really didn't. They didn't lose a, a single player that I think changes the team they are. You know, they lost some guys who helped. You know, Terrence Mitchell was good for them as a starter. But, you know, it doesn't change the balance of, of power in the AFC North that Terrence Mitchell left. You know, Larry Ogunjobi never really panned out. And so I think that's where the Browns kind of get the edge here maybe is it's not just that they've added talent, but they just didn't really lose anybody because they're just not at that point with a lot of these guys in their contracts. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, there was not one day where we were like, Oh my God, I can't believe they lost that guy. I mean, it just, it just didn't happen. And we knew that it was going to be like that. We knew that Larry Ogunjobi was leaving. Uh, we knew that some of those other guys were going to be leaving. I think a lot of people thought Rashard Higgins was going to be leaving too. Uh, so, I, you know, I still think it's good that they were able to re-sign him. Uh, but I, I just don't think this was as flashy of an offseason as maybe some people think it is. I mean, I think it's really super solid. I think John Johnson was, you know, obviously the marquee uh, top target for those guys. You know, the other the other moves that they made are really solid pieces, solid acquisitions. But this wasn't a, and they didn't need it to be. They did not need a flashy free agency period or a trading period or anything because they have a pretty strong roster. They're, they're you know, they're pretty solid across the board. They didn't need to go out and 
make a, a big, huge splash and trade for Odell and Olivier Vernon and sign Sheldon Richardson and sign Kareem Hunt and do all the things that they've done in the last two years. Even last offseason was uh, much, you know, just flashier, I guess is, is the word, you know, getting Jack Conklin, signing Austin Hooper and all of the other things that they did last year. It was, it was a good, solid free agency, you know? I mean, just what they needed. They didn't overspend. Uh, I think John Johnson will, you know, will, will be the key to making this thing go. But other than that, you know, the other guys are sort of, you know, fill in nice pieces. I think fans of any NFL football team can ask themselves this question, both prior and then post free agency or the draft works for both. It's extremely simple. So for the Browns prior to free agency, what were the Browns weaknesses? I'd say defending the middle of the field, speed on the outside and pressuring the quarterback. Well, they got better defending the middle of the field, John Johnson, Troy Hill. You think speed on the outside is going to take care of itself with the return of Odell Beckham Jr. Perhaps they draft somebody. And then pressuring the quarterback is the one thing we don't know yet, right? That's a lot of pressure to put on Tack McKinley and, and perhaps a rookie. But checking two of those three boxes means it's a pretty steady and improvement-filled offseason. If the quarterback pressure thing manifests as a problem and just festers and sits there as something that they can't really figure out as we get through weeks one through four, and then, then we get a little closer to Thanksgiving – and this team just isn't creating the type of pressure that they originally would have hoped or any team would hope. We're going to look back on that wild 48 first 48 hours of the legal tampering period and wonder why the Browns were out on guys like Yannick Ngakwe and Carl Lawson, who only went for 14 million a year. We're going to scratch our heads at that, but that's hindsight, right? We don't know that yet. That is still a question I have, but to check those first two boxes, I think are extremely important and I think that's more boxes, the most um, boxes that were checked throughout this division. But with how important pressuring the quarterback is, I'm going to keep going back to that. I'm just a concerned that that will be a lingering issue with this team as we as we just trek towards the season come September, October. Like, oh, well, they're still not pressuring the quarterback that well. It remains to be seen. But for defending the middle of the field and getting some speed on the outside, which happens with the return of Odell, this team addressed two of their biggest concerns going into the offseason. It was just a very targeted free agency again. And I think, I think this time of year is going to get more and more boring for Browns fans. It just is, you know, the money's going to be tied up. The news we're going to have might be kind of bad news. Like this guy's leaving or they had to cut this guy or they had to, you know, renegotiate this contract. It's just, you know, the life cycle of of where this team is. They've got so much already on this roster. And so Andrew Barry has been able to be very targeted without he spent his money, but you're right, Ellis and Mary Kay, you've been banging the drum for pass rushers too. That, that's going to be the tell. Maybe they take somebody at 26 or maybe they still trade for somebody or, or something like that, but that's, that's going to be kind of the thing to watch as, as we go into uh, next season. So I guess, how do we stack the deck right now? And this isn't like your prediction for 2021 because there's still a draft. There's still training camps. There's still a million things to happen between now and, and the beginning of the year, but have, I guess all we have to answer is this. It was basically the Browns and the Ravens, right? Is, is that sort of how we all felt that it was going to be the Browns and the Ravens battling it out for the North, maybe throw the Steelers in there. Mm-hmm. Did the Browns move themselves 
in, in that pecking order in your guys' minds yet? I think they firmly did. I think they firmly did. I've, I said it a year ago when the right after the Steelers game, when, you know, opening week one, the Ravens crushed the Browns and then the Steelers beat up on the Browns ugly week seven, whatever that was. I was like, look, you, you can say this isn't a huge deal, but you build a roster to win your division. And I was extremely concerned at that time that the Browns were not going to be a team that could beat those two teams in their division. Fast forward, they have an all-time game on Monday night with the Ravens, play with them, a win and defeat, a rare one of those. And then we know how the season ended with the Steelers. So then when you're looking at, all right, we conquered the Steelers. How do we get past the Ravens? Contain Lamar Jackson, defend the middle of the field. They added two players that do those things extremely well. And as Mary Kay said, the Ravens offseason was just, or so far, their free agency has not been impressive. So by the Ravens not doing a whole lot and the Browns making some key improvements, I think they closed the gap slightly. But this is still the Ravens division. And I think Vegas would agree if we pulled up division odds or something like that. I think some of it will come down to how – Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit come back from their injuries this year. You know, I mean, they did do a good job. You're right. They did a tremendous job of bolstering the middle of the field. And that's going to help them tremendously when they play teams like the Ravens and when they play the Chiefs. I mean, it's going, it's going to be different uh, this time around. They really, they added some speed and uh, the middle shouldn't be the Bermuda Triangle for them anymore. And so, but so that's all good. But I do think some of it's going to come down to Grant and Greedy, uh, and then, of course, you know, other guys staying healthy and what they do at that other pass rush position. They've got to have a pass rusher in mind somewhere along the line, right? I mean, the number one defense in the NFL last year was the, um, was the Rams, and, there, you know, there was a reason for that. I mean, they had some – they had Leonard Floyd. They had Aaron Donald. They have guys that can – disrupt the quarterback and the the year before that uh the number one pass defense and then the number two defense overall was the san francisco 49ers and they had like four guys that could rush the heck out of the quarterback i mean you've got to have more than miles garrett that can do that and the answer can't just be tack mckinley so they have to have something else up their sleeve i don't know what it's going to be but if they don't do that then uh you know i mean you can ask john johnson i'm sure that he will tell you that having Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, and the defensive front that he had in front of him was, was huge. And so they, they do need to add to that defensive front. They, they need to add, I don't, know, I don't care whether it's middle pressure, outside pressure. And they did add a little middle pressure with Malik Jackson. He does bring a push up the middle. But I still think they need something more. I, I still think they need uh, to strike a little bit more fear uh, from the front once they're able to do that, then, then I think I would maybe, you know, put them up closer to Baltimore, but I think I still would put Baltimore ahead of them right now as we head into the draft. This division is hard for me to, to get a read on. I, I'm with you guys. I think Baltimore still deserves to be that, that favorite in the AFC North, but I'm, I'm just kind of looking back. I was curious, you know, Baltimore's losses last year were pretty much for, you know, for the most part to good teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they lost to Kansas city, they lost to the Steelers twice, but one of those was that Wednesday COVID game and, and Lamar didn't even play in that game. But at the same time, I feel like the whole division also benefited from the schedule last year. 
you know, Baltimore needed to win out to make the playoffs. And that meant beating Dallas with Andy Dalton, Jacksonville, the giants and the Bengals on top of that shootout with the Browns. So that, I mean, that was probably the closest measuring stick we had with those two teams. And they both looked pretty close to each other. I mean, that, that to me was the game that even though the Browns lost, they kind of said, Hey, we belong in this same discussion. Now, you know, this isn't, September 13th anymore we belong in the same discussion and then the Browns played really well in the playoffs the Ravens and Lamar finally got uh, that that playoff win that they needed to get even though they turned around and lost to Buffalo so I think these teams are pretty close together but but I also still think Baltimore to me right now gets the edge but it wouldn't surprise me if the Browns finally get over that hump and beat the Ravens this year and and make a run for that AFC North title and like I said I don't have much faith in the Steelers, but I've said this before too. That's the type of team that can make you look stupid by week six in October when they're four and two. So I, I, I wouldn't completely write them off yet. And then the schedule is tougher for everybody this year. So I, I'm curious to see how this division shakes out. You know what? You're so right about that. We didn't even mention that, but the schedule is so much harder for all these teams. Pittsburgh has the toughest schedule in the NFL. That's going to matter. That, that is going to be really, really difficult for them. And the Browns really benefited, I mean, benefited to a degree. And because these things come down to one or two football games, they benefited to a degree from getting that third place schedule. In the end, that could make the difference for them. But they're all right up there, like in the top five in terms of really tough schedules this year. And I think, um, I don't think that you can underestimate that. I think that that's, I think that's going to be a factor this year. And, uh, and I think we'll see some, you know, some things that people will wonder, Oh, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that, or I didn't see that weakness or whatever. Um, I, I think that we're going to see some things in a different light this year. And that, that schedule is going to, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger with the toughest schedule in the NFL, uh, you know, when we all kind of thought maybe he didn't have it at all anymore. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, if Bengals head coach Zach Taylor wants to keep his job, he will turn the AFC North into the most competitive division in football because every all the three other teams, they're going to create problems for the whole league as these games are heightened with the extreme difficulties that the, the schedule lays out. The Bengals could be the odd man out or it's a renaissance there and we're looking at four of the best teams in the AFC. Yeah, I, I just, I don't think we're going to have a, a year where there's three 11 plus win teams in the AFC North, maybe with the 17th game, that gives you an extra, but I, I don't know. You had those three 11 win teams. And a lot of that was because you got to play the NFC East. The, right. the schedule helped all these teams get to those win totals. Now, you know, the Browns competed with Kansas city, the, the Ravens won a playoff game. So they proved it. I'm not saying they weren't good teams. I'm just saying, I don't think we're going to see three 11 plus win teams in the AFC, in the AFC North next year, which makes winning the division important even with the extra wild card, because you're going to get some teams in the other divisions kind of fighting with you for those wild card spots. Okay. We're going to talk draft coming up on the other side. Tim Bielik is going to answer questions from our football insider subscribers, Mary Kay and Alice. I'll talk to you later. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about football insider where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends. 
in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner. Get all the information you need. Get yourself signed up and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now we're going to talk a little draft. We'll bring in Tim Bielek. Tim, how are you? Not too bad. How are you? Doing well. And we put out a call out to our Football Insider subscribers to text us their questions. And as always, they delivered with some good ones. So let's just go through here. I've got these sort of divided up into topics. And the first one, we're going to go to the 704 area code talking about needs and, and maybe how the Browns will approach that. So do the Browns go best player available at number 26 or do they pick based on need? I think because in some ways what they've done in free agency, the board almost stacks up where they can go for best available and targeted position in need. If you haven't yet, I did a mock draft on Wednesday morning where I discussed the two big needs for the Browns corner and defensive end. And I actually have the Browns taking a defensive end at 26 in Georgia's Aziz Ojolari. So in that way, that form, it kind of works out where the best player available is at a position of need. And I, I think you can say best player available in any case. I think that's ideally what you want to do. But with those needs available, if you can kind of mar- find a way to marry the two, that's probably the best way to go. Because, I mean, Browns don't need a receiver after bringing uh, Rashard Higgins back, the band's back together at receiver. They probably don't wouldn't need to take one, I don't think, till maybe day three. Okay, so you mentioned edge rushers, and that's a perfect segue to this next question here. From the 907 area code, uh, this person wants to know how you would rank the top pass rushers in this draft. And I guess, you know, you just mentioned one. Where does he kind of fit in those rankings? Well, I'll start at the top. I kind of have – I have Quiddy Pay from Michigan kind of as my number one guy. Absolute freak athlete. I don't don't remember quite if Michigan's has pro day or not, but if if they haven't, he's up. Just watch what he's going to do because I expect he would just absolutely light it up. Number two is kind of interesting because – after pay, I think the rankings are kind of all over the place. You can make an argument for a lot of guys. I think Gregory Rousseau's number two, even though he didn't play this year, just because I've said it a thousand times, you cannot talk your way out of 15 and a half sacks in a single season. It doesn't matter, you know, what he didn't do in 2020, what his limitations are. You cannot teach 15 and a half sacks. And I cannot, I don't know if I'll be convinced otherwise. I saw a mock where he wasn't even in the first round. So, which kind of surprised me that I would probably put Ojolari third. I'm starting to kind of really zero in on him a little bit as a guy that I like, because the more I see, the more I read about him, the more I look at his frame. I know he's he measured at his pro day about 249 pounds, which is just a little bit less than Yannick and Gakwe's weight. And he's played a four, three throughout his career. So no reason Ojolari can't. Fourth, I would go Jalen Phillips from Miami just because of the concussion history. If he's healthy, he's an outstanding athlete, and he showed it this past season. And fifth, kind of the last guy I would look for in the first round, Jason Owe of Penn State, just because he's so raw. He, he didn't have a sack in 2020. Just Although he was able to get a lot of pressures, he was a havoc creator in the backfield. I expect when he runs his 40, it's going to be absolutely outstanding. 
But I think there's just that rawness and the fact that he hasn't really produced at the college level that I don't know how much it would scare me compared to other teams, but I'm sure there's teams that look at that and be like, well, why didn't you get a sack in 2020 when you were finally a starter? I want to throw a name at you. I'm curious about this guy, and this would be a, a late second round guy maybe for the Browns. Now, they, they have their pro day on April 9th, this guy's pro day, so I'm curious to see how he performs there. But I always like to kind of find a, a weird kind of day two or day three guy that maybe fits some traits the Browns might look like. What, what do you think of Peyton Turner out of Houston? Six foot six, 270. Uh, at the senior bowl, he measured 35 inches uh, arms. Seems like he's a traditional four, three guy can play inside and out. Is, is he a guy that would maybe have some value in the late second? I swear you read my mind. I was on with Dave Bacon on sports for CLE on Monday, and we talked specifically about Peyton Turner. And there's a lot I like about him. Obviously, you mentioned the frame. He's 6'5", 270, can probably slide inside if you need him to to create an interior pass rush. But there's a lot to like about him. Power, speed, motor, all those tools are there. I'm always interested in toolsy guys when you look at edge rushers. If they don't go edge rusher in the first round, say they go for a corner, one of those top four that I talked about with Ellis a few weeks ago, Turner is a guy I, w- I would want to keep my eye on maybe in the third round. Maybe you have to trade up to get him depending on the momentum he gets in the next few weeks. But he's a guy I would kind of circle and keep an eye on on that Friday night. Yeah, he's just a guy that kind of stood out to me. I was doing one of those sim mock drafts and he fell to the Browns in, in the 50s. I'm like, oh, that, that might be interesting. Okay, a couple questions about the depth in the draft and also some needs for the Browns. So from the 614 area code, where when we look at these three positions, so safety, cornerback, and edge rusher, what is the depth like? Like how would you rank those as far as deepest positions? So safety, cornerback, and edge. I think it's deep in different levels. I see edge rusher being very deep. They wanted a day two summit at the end of day two and then it kind of dropping off some corner is where you got your top four guys. And then after that, there's kind of some question marks when you got guys like Asante Samuel jr. From Florida state, who seems like a Denzel Ward clone. If he ought to Melifonwu from Syracuse, another guy I like just a physically physical force at about almost six, three, 210 pounds, Eric Stokes from Georgia blazing 40 time, Elijah Molden from Washington dynamic as a slot corner, but who knows how much, more he can be than a slot corner. And safety is a position that we may get a day one guy in Trevon Merrick from TCU. But after that, there's going to be a lot of day two guys, whether you go Richie Grant from UCF, who's kind of your pure free safety. Hamza Nazarul Dean from Florida State is interesting to me because until they, before, until they signed John Johnson, he was another guy I kind of liked in a similar mode to Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo of Notre Dame in that he could be kind of your linebacker safety hybrid in a rover type position he's a guy who's a real physical freak he's about six foot four 214 pounds he's athletic i just love the way he attacks and plays the game he's fun to watch when he's healthy but the problem with him health is kind of a concern so i think if you're looking on thursday watch the edge rushers and corners if you're looking on friday watch the safeties when it comes to guys just flying off the board yeah, that's interesting. We had some questions about how the, what the Browns might focus on, you know, late on day two or, or, you know, kind of on day three. And safety becomes interesting because they've sort of addressed the position with uh, signing John Johnson and they're getting Delpit back and Ronnie Harrison in the fold. But 
you know, the late day two, early day three is when you might, or not even just early day three, all of day three is when you might look to add some of that depth. So if, if there's guys at safety that you could maybe add there, maybe that's where, where they would look. Yeah, I agree. And you could always use depth. I mean, we don't know what Delphit's going to look like coming off the Achilles for years. So getting some insulation, some protection in that regards, maybe a good way to go probably in that third round, I would, I would believe. All right. So from the 814 area code, kind of along those lines, how do you think the Browns or who do you think the Browns could target with those later picks? Um, he, he says like the last five picks and he throws out maybe some O-line and D-line depth, maybe a backup quarterback. If, if they want to find their backup quarterback of the future, where could they go with those late picks? My rule of thumb is I would always go find an offensive lineman, I would always at least try to draft one regardless of the state of the offensive line because you don't know who's going to stick around, whether they have to make a decision on Joel Batonio or Wyatt Teller in the future, the future of center with J.C. Treader, what happens when Jack Conklin's contract runs out, those different things. We, As we learned from the playoffs, you can't have too many offensive linemen. And, of course, with Kendall Lamb leaving, you, you have a little depth that you need to replace in that offensive line group. Corner is also a position I would target because, again, you can't have enough of those guys. Receiver, I've talked about before. Maybe they don't get a guy in day one or two, but in day three, I I would have no problem if they want to go for a guy like Anthony Schwartz from Auburn. I've talked about him before. as kind of a true speedster of a receiver, kind of rounds out that room when you have a lot of possession guys, but you don't really have a lot of guys that you just tell go run as fast as you can just try and get behind everybody and see if Baker can throw the ball to him. You only need a guy who does that a couple times a game. If that's what you're looking for specifically and you hope you can run him out, maybe Schwartz is that kind of guy. Uh, yeah, there were some questions about uh, receivers. Ronnie from Newton Falls, who asks us questions all the time for these, he wanted to know if maybe you could see the Browns trading up to target a wide receiver. It sounds like the answer to that one is no. So there you go, Ronnie. You get that question answered pretty early on here. Some more who to pick questions, though. This, again, from the 814 area code, just generally speaking. The Browns have four picks in those first 91 selections. Is three new starters on defense too much to ask? I don't think so. I think, obviously, you're looking for a number two corner. I think that may be the most likely starter, although I'm not sure whether you would go for them in the first round or the second. It depends if you really believe. Troy Hill in an emergency can kind of be that number two guy. If Greedy Williams lives up to that potential or if they sign a guy or trade for a guy in free agency, maybe you do that. I do think starting edge rusher is something I would keep an eye on, especially because like I've mentioned that depth when you have potential five first round guys at the edge, all of whom probably going to be picked outside the top 10, certainly reasonable to expect linebacker is going to be the interesting one. I, I if, for those that subscribe to the football insider, I kind of ranked it third on my list. Now, if in the second round you get a guy like Jabril Cox from LSU, I think he's a I think he's a day one starter as a coverage linebacker. It'd be interesting to put him alongside Anthony Walker in that sort of big nickel defense when you can have a coverage linebacker and a run stuffing linebacker, and you can really play with some of that versatility. The, the how that room has come together interests me. I, I mean, we've. It's just always been a question of how much this team values linebacker. Maybe they're looking for, I wonder if they'd be looking more for guys in specific roles versus just extremely talented guys. Like you have your run linebackers and then you have your pass linebackers. They have a lot of column one. They probably need at least one more in column two, I think. Okay. There were a lot of questions about Zayvon Collins, a few people asking about him. 
And here from the 412 area code, put it pr- pretty bluntly. If Collins is on the board at 26, do you take him? That, again, d- just depends on who's there. I mean, if you, I, there's not an edge rusher I like or a corner I like, then sure, I'd go ahead and take Zayvon Collins. There's plenty to like about his talent. He's 260 pounds. He moves like a guy who is way smaller than that. And I say that in a good way. He's very good in pass coverage. He's definitely an off-the-ball linebacker. You watch his film at Tulsa again. His movement is tremendous. He had a pick six to end an overtime game, which tells you about his ability as a coverage man. I think it's just going to depend on who's available at that spot. But again, I, I think that's the case for all these teams. It's going to be weird, I think, for just from a Browns perspective, waiting hours and hours before you're on the clock. It's an interesting position. We'll, we know Andrew Barry's a patient guy. We've seen it this offseason. A little bit last offseason, we'll see how patient he really is this time around. So I know you've, you've referenced your mock draft here, but I'll, I'll throw this one at you. Somebody just throwing some names uh, who you would pick from this group. So he's got Collins. This is from the 937 area code. Collins, uh, Barmore, uh, Jalen Phillips, J.C. Horn. Who are you taking out of that group? There, so Jalen Phillips and um, J.C. Horn are both on the board in that scenario. Um, as, much as, I, as much as I've been on record saying I love Jalen Phillips, I don't know if you could, I think I would go JC Horn. I really love the idea of having a big six, one physical corner opposite Denzel Ward in a schedule where about a quarter of your games are against Chase Claypool and T Higgins. You need a big receiver to really allow Denzel Ward to play the smaller, faster guys like Hollywood Brown more. So you don't have to worry about him being physically outmatched. And again, Horn is a, Horn is a bigger guy. I rave about his physicality. I just love how how tough he plays. We've seen the we've seen Barry go SEC a lot last year. If he's there at 26, that's a hard, there's going to be a hard decision. I'm just glad I'm not paid that kind of money uh, <laughs> to make that decision because I have a hard time kind of deciding in my mind where I would go in that situation. Yeah, I, th- I think that idea of a corner at 26 is really intriguing to me. And if it happens to be JC Horn, I, I would not. I would not complain uh, if, if that's how the drafts played out for the Browns. I, out of curiosity, though, before we move on, where did you have Collins going in your mock? Um, I had him going 36 to the Miami Dolphins. That's the fourth pick in the second round. I've got the Dolphins making one of two trades. I only have two. Excuse me. I have two trades in this mock. This is the first one I do when I have trades. Um, so I have Miami dropping down about five spots with, uh, Carolina, who's going to trade up to take Justin Fields at number three. I have another trade involving a quarterback. You'll just have to wait and see on Wednesday morning who it is. But do you want? Depends if you want to hear it right now or if you want to just wait till Wednesday morning to uh, read it for yourself. You know what? We're we're going to make people go read it. Go to Cleveland.com/slash/Browns. It'll be up by the time you guys uh, you hear this. Go to Cleveland.com/slash/Browns and uh, read Tim's mock. Okay, a lot of questions about trading too, of course. So th- this is just, I, I guess, a you know, for, from the 440 area code, trade up or stay where they are in that first round? I feel like stay where they are is something I would be more, I think would be more likely. Because again, we talked about how patient Andrew Barry is, that he just w- kind of wants things to kind of come to him a little bit more than reaching out and going to be overly aggressive. I can understand them trading up because again, you've got nine picks in this draft. You're, you probably don't want to take nine drafted rookies into training camp. 
So maybe moving up would be prudent, especially if you are starting to get a run on those corners or those edge rushers and you're worried you're going to get left out. But the, the more I'm kind of seeing this draft, the more I feel like at least one of those guys will be available for them at 26. If they're all not available, I would be pretty surprised, quite honestly, considering the amount of talent that's on the offense and particularly offensive line that's starting to kind of emerge in the last few weeks. A couple questions about the Browns having nine picks and at their root, it's basically, do you expect the Browns to make nine picks in this draft or do you see them using some of those picks to collect uh, picks down the road? I think what we've seen, we've seen the pattern of them trade picks for future picks. I mean, we saw that with the trade with the saints a year ago that got them the extra third round pick. I think that's the 91st pick. So I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to do that again, just kind of keep building that stock where you have more than the seven picks. So you have that verse, that flexibility to say, use that pick to go get a player. We, we still have a month before the draft. So there's always the possibility they could turn around and trade the pick for a starter on the defensive side of the football. So, I mean, maybe I'm of the personal opinion that nine is too many right now for a team contending for a Super Bowl. The Browns could obviously think very differently than me and they probably do. But I mean, again, it's just, it's going to depend on just kind of who falls to them. So here's an interesting question from Sam and he's looking at that 26th pick. I'm curious what you think. I kind of know how I feel about this. Is it more valuable to have the 26th pick and the fifth year option or to turn that pick into a second rounder? It's essentially 26 and and the second rounder far enough apart that it's not really like a second rounder, but it kind of is. Is it more beneficial to make that pick and have that fifth year option or slide it back to the second round, make a high second round pick and maybe get, you know, some of those future picks or add more picks to what they have now? Yeah, I'm kind of in torn on that one because correct me if I'm wrong, the fifth year options like guaranteed for all these players going yeah, forward. So under the we'll new slide. CBA, that fifth year option is guaranteed now. Okay. So when it comes to the Browns, I think considering where they're going to be in the salary situation with Baker's contract coming up, Denzel Ward coming up, Nick Chubb coming up to do extensions in the future, and who knows who else could be down the pipe for those. I think getting, I think it might be more prudent to kind of, if you're going to trade down, try and stay in that first round, maybe slide down into 30 or 31, preferably. That way you could still accrue picks for later and still get the fifth year option, almost the best of both worlds. But I think just for cap control, for flexibility, it may be worth it just to stay in that first round to get that fifth year on the rookie deal because we we expect the caps. I expect the caps going to explode now that they got the new deal with the TV networks and Amazon. That that cap's not going to be down for much longer. It's going to go way back up in two years. Where that deal, if they hit on that first round pick, it's going to be a bargain by the middle of the decade. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for the fifth year option. You know, with some guys, it can get a little pricey, you know, especially if they make a couple Pro Bowls, you're, you're paying them that franchise tag number. But, uh, you know, I, I still think having that extra year of control and kind of knowing what that's going to cost you moving forward uh, can be a really valuable thing, both in keeping a player, but also, you know, if you want to move a player, uh, you know, kind of having that stability matters. Okay, we've uh, covered a couple of these things. So I'm just going to throw some randoms here at you that I had. Uh, at the bottom. So from the 440 area code, again, this is later round stuff. How deep is this draft as far as offensive linemen go? Uh, I think it's a pretty good draft when it comes to offensive linemen. I'd be more inclined to go for the interior guys. One guy I like, and this is not just a name thing, but Ben Cleveland from Georgia 
is a day three guy that really interested me. He is a big dude, 6'6", 354 pounds, very strong. I don't know how he would fit in a zone blocking scheme, but hard to turn down powerful guards like that. If you're if they're looking for fourth round of depth at guard, go for him. Um, tackles an interesting group as well. I'm trying to throw it, trying to find another name out there. If you're going to go way down the board, uh, Walker Little from Stanford is interesting as well. This was a guy who was, I believe he was a former five-star prospect. He's big at six, seven, about 309 pounds, but in, he was injured in 2019, didn't play in 2020. So he's kind of an enigma as far as a player goes, but he's athletic. Maybe he's a guy you draft and try and develop behind a, Jedrick Wills, maybe you get some insulation back there and, and look for a backup tackle. From the 423 area code, will there be a run on quarterbacks and wide receivers that will make the Browns picks more valuable? Well, I, I think quarterbacks are going to fly off the board. I'd be surprised if by like 930, all five of the top quarterbacks aren't gone. And then after those five, there's a big drop off from, say, Mac Jones to Kyle Trask. I don't think Trask, Trask is a first round pick. Receiver's going to be interesting. There's that top three group of Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Jamar Chase. And after that, it's kind of a muddy crowd where I think guys like Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall, Kadarius Toney are starting to emerge kind of as that other group in the first round. The wild card of that position for me, Rondell Moore from Purdue. I know he just measured in his pro day at 5'7", but vertical jump of 42 inches, a sub 4'3", This was a dude who backswatted it's 600 pounds before he played a game of college football. He's an interesting player to me. I have him going after the Browns pick, but I think obviously if you're the Browns, you're rooting for those receivers to go early. You're rooting for someone say, as I look up the draft order, you're rooting for someone like the Patriots to go with a receiver. You're hoping that um, Miami goes receiver somewhere that the Colts go receiver, the Titans go receiver. You're kind of hoping those teams in front of the Browns, take receivers to push those defensive players down because where they are, you know, it's going to be about, we know the quarterbacks are going to go early. There's no question about it. It's going to be how many receivers and offensive linemen go ahead of 26. And the more that go, I think that's going to be helpful for the Browns because if more go, you're going to push those edge rushers and corners down to those spots where they could have a, a lot of choices at 26 potentially. Okay, Justin Fields, here's a quarterback question from the 814 area code, wants to know where you rank Justin Fields in your quarterback list. He's seeing obviously a lot of people are, are putting him at number three behind Lawrence and, and Wilson, thinks that's silly. What, where do you have Fields ranked? I have him number two. I think for the mock draft, I've given up the pretense that he's going to go number two because it seems like there's nobody talking about that right now, which either to me is – some tr some weird thing going on with GMs where they're trying to trying way too hard to find mistakes with Justin Fields that maybe aren't there, or this is the biggest smoke screen in years when it comes to quarterbacks. But having watched Justin Fields for two years, there's not much he can't do on the football field. He's athletic. He's got arm talent. He's strong. He's got the intangibles. I think the only question, the questions with him, I think for me, come to injuries. He was banged up at the end of 2019, 2020. He took that shot in the back against Clemson. He obviously finished that game in, in the sugar bowl, but I'm sure it looked like it affected him a little bit against Alabama. Fields is the most interesting thing. The most interesting player to me, this entire class, because we see him as a guy who could go from third to eight, and we've seen guys like Mel Kuyper really come to his defense in a way that I don't know if we've ever seen that before, where 
a guy that seemed like he was number two is all of a sudden falling to number seemed like he was the number two quarterback in this class forever falling all the way to number four, even number five. I find it incredibly baffling. And this is kind of where I draw a hard line on this. Like I've seen Justin Fields for two years. I admit I haven't necessarily watched as much Zach Wilson as I could largely because with where the Browns are, they don't need quarterback anytime soon, but Fields has done it for two years against big 10 competition played well against Clemson twice Zach Wilson has only done this for really one year and it was against a bad schedule. Like I don't think anybody will argue BYU played a lot of juggernauts. You could argue their best opponent was coastal Carolina and they didn't even put up 20 points against them, but I'll stop okay. there. Cause I could go 20 minutes talking about this whole <laughs> thing. And I know we got time constraints. All right. Last one here from the seven, one, seven area code. Uh, the Browns were in the twenties in defense. I just looked it up. They were 25th in defensive DVOA. Uh, last season according to football outsiders they've signed some guys on defense we're expecting them to go pretty heavy in the draft on defense so john stoner from york pennsylvania wants us to call our shot where do the browns rank defensively at the end of the 2021 season is a top 10 defense possible i think it's possible but i'd be leaning more towards let's just go 12 because I mean, we don't know if whoever they drafted, edge rusher or number two corner is going to be a stud right away. I'd expect some rookie bumps along the way, depending on what kind of off-season program we get this year. But I think with the veterans they signed, John Johnson, I'm actually becoming more and more sold on Tack McKinley's kind of a one-year option if they can unlock him and make him what he was in his first two seasons with the Falcons. I don't think they're going to be elite right away. I think they're going to need a little time to get to that elite. You don't build a great defense in one day. It's going to take some time. They're going to have to hit some of these picks, and it's hard to find a star at 26. I will say that say that right now, so don't expect a Pro Bowl or 26. I'd expect a guy at 26 who is your number two corner from day one. Maybe he struggles a little bit but shows some flashes at edge rusher at 26. I'd look for a rotational guy who kind of comes in situationally in, in third down situations or second and longs where you know the offense is going to pass and you just want guys to try and quicken the response time of the other team's quarterback. So I think the guys they signed in the last week might honestly have more of an impact on what the Browns do this season defensively than the guys they draft right now. That's more looking 2022 and beyond with those guys. Yeah. I just got to know who their other edge rusher is going to be. You know, I tack is kind of a lottery ticket. We'll see how we'll see what happens. And I've got to know who their other cornerback is going to be. Is it going to be greedy? Can you, is, is he going to be healthy and ready to go? Or is it going to be, you know, a JC Horn or, or someone like that? So I think putting them in the top half of the league is pretty safe. Top 10, not quite ready to put them there yet, but, you know, and look, they have to play some pretty good offenses next year as well. And that, that certainly impacts some of those rankings. All right, there we have it. Uh, football insider subscribers sent us questions to be like, answer them. If you want to get involved with football insider, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the orange and Brown talk podcast, where we listen to your podcast. And if you haven't gone and read Tim's mock draft, which came out this morning, go check that out as well. It's all at cleveland.com slash Browns. Tim, thanks for the time. You got it.